It may be years down the road before we're properly able to reflect on what Kyler Murray has accomplished this season. It may be years down the road until we realize how fortunate that this football program has been the last four years. Oklahoma quarterbacks have broken the single-season passing efficiency record in back-to-back-to-back seasons. That is simply absurd. I remember thinking after the 2008 season that there's no way you could play the position better than Sam Bradford had that year. Never did I think just 10 years later that Baker Mayf could be topped. I had just seen the best three-year career ever capped off by the best season ever from a quarterback. How do you follow that? Better yet, how do you follow an unprecedented two-decade run at the quarterback position? Three Heisman Trophy winners plus another runner-up with a ring. How do you do all that in your first year as a starter? That's what Kyler Murray has pulled off this year. That's not even to mention his life as a dual-sport athlete, his hardships at Texas A&M, and the subsequent transfer to Oklahoma, and the near-impossible feat of living up to the standards of the best high school football player in Texas history? Reflecting on the events of this season, it's easy to see now that Kyler Murray was on a mission that no one was going to deny him of completing. His entire athletic career has foretold it in many ways. It takes a special player to do what Murray has done this season, and it's not hard to see that in his eyes, this mission isn't over. Until then, let's enjoy this one. Kyler Murray is your 2018 Heisman Trophy winner, and the ride may not be over yet. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. The 2018 Heisman Trophy is awarded to Kyler Murray of Oklahoma University. Well, I know this is a this is an individual award, but I wouldn't be here if it weren't weren't for my teammates, uh, my family, coaches, and, and, and Sooner Nation. So uh, to everybody, I want to say thank you and Boomer. Congratulations are in order for Kyler Murray, the best player in college football this season. Murray becomes the seventh Sooner to win the Heisman, joining Billy Vessels, Steve Owens, Billy Sims, Jason White, Sam Bradford, and Baker Mayfield. Speaking of Mayfield, it's the first time in history that a school has produced back-to-back Heisman-winning quarterbacks. Hello again, I'm Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the beginning with his opening take. Coming up on the show, we'll talk more about Kyler, the Heisman voting. Plus, there's no doubt Alabama fans think Tua got hosed and also some players, which is certainly a defendable position. But what is not as defendable are the Ohio State fans who think Dwayne Haskins got jobbed. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. I've seen some Ohio State fans who are not happy. I'm sure they're just emotional but you know that's what sports do okay plus we're going to talk about the defensive coordinator position opening at Oklahoma you know we haven't really got into that whole thing a whole lot about the potential candidates for the job on this podcast but today we'll provide our thoughts on all the rumored potential candidates plus there are a couple other names of people out there who Grant and I have discovered or at least me I don't know about Grant well I'll ask him Uh, who we're interested in. Not sure if these people are even on the radar of anybody at Oklahoma, but just going to throw some names out there just because it's a podcast and we want to have some fun. When it comes to OU Alabama talk, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, but full disclosure, 
I have not done any serious film watching yet. The plan is to start diving into all that this week on my off days. Not sure what Grant's seen yet, and I'll ask him all about that. So uh, I might as well ask him now. Grant, uh, have you done any serious Alabama film watching up to this point? Not really. No, I've kind of taken this week off of college football. It's been about three months where it's been just nothing but college football, kind of minute by minute, hour by hour. So I've taken a little bit of a break this week and sort of uh, just kind of uh, enjoyed what the result of this season has been so far. It's uh, it's something that I think, you know, a month and a half ago after they lost to Texas, I, I don't I mean, it, the, the mood around the program certainly was certainly there was a negative vibe there. And so I just think it's it's really cool how they were able to rebound when the Big 12 beat Texas in the rematch. And I don't know, I've just been kind of been kind of bathing in the glory of that all week. And, and of course, now that was all capped off by by Kyler winning the Heisman last night. So uh, I think, you know, there's going to be plenty of time for us to to uh, to watch Alabama and, you know, likely get terrified by watching their film. Um, but you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that'll come a- at another day. I think it's, it's just kind of fun to just, just kind of soak it all in right now. So in your opening take, you talked about Kyler Murray, of course, and your thoughts on him winning the Heisman trophy. So I'm going to take this time to provide my take on Kyler winning the Heisman Saturday night. It's refreshing to see the Heisman trophy voters get this one right. You know, Sooner Nation was feeling pretty good about Kyler's chances following Championship Saturday. And, you know, the Vegas odds drastically shifting in Kyler's favor on Monday definitely made things more optimistic around the program and and around this fan base. But I got to admit, beginning Friday night, I started to get a a weird feeling that Tua was going to still win the the Heisman Trophy. And what really got me thinking was that 13% of voters who cast their ballots before Championship Saturday – You know, if somebody voted that early, it's reasonable to assume that they were voting for Tua. So I was thinking that was pretty, a pretty nice head start for Tua going into championship weekend, even if, you know, a lot of voters were persuaded to vote for Kyler following the Big 12 and the SEC title games. So to me, it just seemed a little too good to be true that all of a sudden Murray was going to win the award. But then Murray was announced as the winner Saturday night and I got to tell you, I was genuinely surprised and genuinely happy for the guy. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I was covering Texas A&M when Kyler Murray got on campus in College Station. And yeah, I bring it up a decent amount of times, especially during the offseason when we talked about the Kyler Austin Kendall battle and all that stuff. You know, do I know Kyler Murray personally? No, I do not. Uh, I'm just a dude who's asked him a few questions here and there over the years. But I've also been there for every single one of his college snaps. And of all the players in college football today, and to be fair, all the high-profile college football players today, it's weirdly satisfying for me to know that I've kind of followed his journey all along the way. And am I making Kyler Murray winning the Heisman Trophy about me right now? Yeah, to some extent. I'll admit that I'm being one of those losers who make things about them when they've got nothing to do with it at all. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll admit that right now kind of shameless but in all seriousness congratulations to Kyler Murray you you essentially had one season to accomplish all the college football goals that you set for yourself probably I don't know when you were in high school or maybe even younger than that and you've made nearly all of those goals a reality there's just one goal remaining and that's to win a national championship simply I mean the guy's a winner and I'm glad he's playing for Oklahoma and not a different team 
So it it was uh yeah, I was I was really happy for the guy and and I got to admit I I was actually kind of surprised when he won. Grant, were were you surprised when Murray was announced or were you one of those people that thought it was a a decision that was in the bag? No, nah, I thought it was in the bag. Kind of as the as as the week went along, I think a lot of journalists sort of came out and were winking and nodding and basically saying that yeah, they voted for Kyler. Um and I think it, it turned out that he had he had by far the most first place votes, I think. So um no, I mean it didn't surprise me. I mean when 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 the odds in Vegas shift that much, they generally know something that that we don't know. So um I mean, yeah, it's I we, we all saw what happened last Saturday and I just I don't um, just the emotional impact of seeing Jalen Hurts kind of have the seminal moment in Alabama's season so far and not to a, I think just voters cannot get that out of their heads. And how, I mean, how do you give the Heisman Trophy um, to to a guy who is sitting on the bench while his teammate delivered, you know, maybe the most memorable, you know, moment of this season so far? It's just, that's just, I don't think that's just something emotionally anyone was ready to do. And then on top of that, Kyler just has had a better season objectively. Kyler Murray, 517 first-place votes. You mentioned the first-place votes a second ago. Tua got 299 first-place votes. So more than 200 first-place votes than Tua, Kyler got. However, the the point total, I mean, it was, it was close. It was the closest Heisman race, decision, vote, whatever you want to use, since 2015 when um, Derrick Henry won, when Derrick Henry beat out Christian McCaffrey. And just a side note, I, I always thought I thought McCaffrey should have won it that year. I thought McCaffrey was awesome. I thought he was easily the best player in college football that season, if you're, especially if you're going to give it to a running back. Uh, so I thought that was kind of, uh, you know, it was super close. Uh, and whatever. Uh, doesn't matter right now. But, um, okay, so I have here in the, in, the, in the rundown just the voting breakdown. And, you know, I mentioned that, you know, that 13% of people that voted before championship weekend which by the way can we just quickly bring this up i know i've seen people touch on this briefly on social media and, and here and there how do you vote for the heisman trophy before you've seen every single game can you can you even imagine a scenario grant let's say you're a heisman voter can you imagine a, a situation where you're submitting your vote before the end of championship weekend well no but and, and I'm sure, you know, whoever, the 13% of the people who did it, I'm sure they would have some sort of way to justify what they did. But I don't know. Did you see? I don't even think Tua even had that big of a lead amongst the people who had voted before the, the championship weekend. Did you see the breakdown of the vote? It wasn't yeah, even. It, it yeah. wasn't as big as I thought it was. And so here's the breakdown. 15% of the votes had been submitted before the SEC championship game. So that could include votes that were submitted, you know, after the Big 12 championship game because the Big 12 title game obviously was in the morning or early afternoon. And so before the SEC championship game had finished, 15% of the votes were in. And at that time, Tua led Kyler by 79 points. That's it. You know, I figured it'd, it'd be a lot more than that. And so once the SEC championship game concluded, Kyler earned 1,910 points. And then Tua got 1,535 points, which was a difference of 375. And Kyler ended up winning by 296. So I know a lot of numbers I just said there. But I think we can safely conclude that, you know, the thing that we all kind of thought 
following Championship Saturday is that Kyler's performance and then subsequently Tua's performance later on that night essentially decided the winner, which I think is fascinating because even though some people voted before that Saturday, that day really decided the Heisman Trophy and Tua, you could argue, Tua blinked and Kyler didn't. And Kyler got the trophy, and it's well deserved. So congratulations to him. That's that's. I don't know. I mean, have we? Can you remember a time? Granted, we're not like we haven't been following college football for fifty years, but can you remember a a time in the recent history where the conference championship Saturday has essentially determined the Heisman Trophy winner? No, I don't I can't either at all. I mean, that's, I don't know if it's ever happened. For I, at least you know, there's nothing that that's coming to mind for me. Lee. I also just wanted to bring up two as well. Uh, Lee, and this is this is more of just a, another argument in favor of Kyler. Lee, I mean, how many times this year did Oklahoma absolutely need Kyler to make a play, and he actually did follow through? I mean, how many times did it happen this year? I mean, it happened at least I feel like in half of their games, right? Where I mean, multiple yeah, I, times where they absolutely needed a play from Kyler and he delivered. Lee, Alabama needed absolutely needed plays from Tua one time this season, and he blinked. Like you said, and he wasn't even on the field for that. In fact, when he was on the field, he was turning the ball over in the in, in the red zone. So um, I don't to know. Be just, fair against a really good Georgia team, it's not like sure. he was playing a really good Georgia team. Scrub. But at the, you know, but at the same time, it's just you know you gotta you gotta get it done in the in the in the highest leverage situations. And and like let's be honest, to a to a tag of Viloa Lee, he played in one high leverage situation this season and he failed. He was awful. So I mean I. I think it's absolutely fair uh, to reward Murray the Heisman just based solely on that. And really, I, th- I think it goes there. There, there's, there are some arguments too that maybe the Heisman Trophy should go to, I don't know, whoever was kind of like the story of that college football season. And I think everyone would agree that that probably was Tua. He was just kind of the story of the college football season, and it wasn't until the last few weeks where the narrative changed. But then, of course, to that, I would just argue. I mean, that was a total just that was a college football media creation, right? I mean, it was just everything was sort of framed by Tua. No one was paying attention to the amazing season that Kyler was having. Um, so really, how much how much stock can you put in that? So um, it's a huge upset, too, because a guy that was drafted in the first round in the top 10 of Major League Baseball was a starting is a starting quarterback for a team like Oklahoma. And he didn't. Kyler Murray, that is. Yeah, like you're right. I mean, he did not get as much national attention, you know, leading up until like maybe the final month of the season that you would expect a guy a high profile player like that to get which is bizarre I mean think about this might be apples to oranges but Trey Young I mean he was his stats were plastered all over the screen for games he wasn't even playing in or no that's not true but no you would play a game on ESPN they'd have his stats just up the entire time and he was a a huge uh, a huge media guy like it was everything Trey Young Trey Young Trey Young I know it's college basketball, so again, maybe this is apples to oranges, but I guess that was Tua. I mean, Tua was the guy that, and you know, I guess deservedly so. He came in and won half and won the national title a season ago, and he was having a fantastic year. He's a great player. I mean, Tua is a is a phenomenal quarterback. He's he's awesome. He's really really good. So I mean, it's not like he's not that good, and the media are just kind of overhyping him because they're not. I mean, he's a really good player. And so is Kyler, though, and like you said, it. I think Kyler slightly had a better season real quick Murray won five of the six 
Heisman voting regions. Uh, not surprisingly, the only reason that he did not win was the South. It was close, though. Tua had 375 points, Kyler 356 points. So not even it wasn't even a runaway in the South for Tua. So let's you're talking a little bit about Tua. You know, there's there's some arguments you know for why Tua should have won the Heisman Trophy, and I've I've heard a couple of arguments throughout the last week or so, just reading some articles from people. And the two main ones I've heard, and there could be some more, so maybe you can help me out if you've heard other ones, but the two main ones I've heard is, well, he got hurt in the SEC championship, and you shouldn't hold that against him. And the, the other one that you've heard kind of all season long is that Tua barely played in the fourth quarter because Alabama was so dominant, so his stats just aren't there because he didn't get as many opportunities you know, as Kyler Murray and, and Dwayne Haskins. Have you heard any other other arguments for Tua that were kind of you know concrete arguments that people have been using over time to defend his Heisman Trophy candidacy? Not really. I I really haven't seen a whole lot of people uh, arguing for Tua outside of kind of hardcore Alabama fans because the stats are squarely in Kyler's favor, and like I said, nobody can get the the SEC championship game out of their heads. I, I just. You know, the only legitimate argument I think for Tua at this point in time is just that he was the story, really, of the 2018 college football season until the very end. Um, but it's it's hard; it's so hard for me to put a lot of stock in that because, and, you know, contrary to what people want you to believe, Alabama did play a bunch of garbage defenses this year. By the way, um, they did not face a murderer's row of defenses, um, and I just he he was not put in any high leverage situations this year. And I guess you know it, it could be a little unfair to to hold that against him because he was the one you know he had a hand in putting up all those points and and separating from those teams. But I mean, don't don't we judge kind of our performances of athletes based on what they do in the highest pressure situations? Shouldn't that be part of the the formula? And I just I in those situations, Kyler was just was elite time and time again. Even in the game lead that they lost this year, when they when OU absolutely needed Kyler, he delivered three consecutive times in the fourth quarter of that game, mm-hmm. and it was the defense who to, who gave up the the game at the end. So, so just I, to be just to be fair, because you know who knows, maybe there's I mean, we know at least one one person who listens to this podcast is an Alabama fan, just likes the podcast. So, shout out to him. But just just to be clear, yeah, I mean, I agree. You're right. Bama did not play. A murderer's row of defenses this year however Bama did play when they did play good defense they played better defenses than Oklahoma played I mean Georgia's obviously the, yeah that's true the best the best defense sure. that I mean better than any defense Oklahoma saw uh, Mississippi State is better than probably better than any defense Oklahoma saw this year and LSU is better than any defense Oklahoma saw this year as well Auburn I, I don't know. I, I think Auburn's a little I mean they got a good defense, but that's just that's not a very good football team this year. So I'm not gonna count them. But the best defense Oklahoma saw this year is either Iowa State or Texas, I think. Am I yeah, uh I, I think it's statistically it's actually TCU. Um Okay. TCU's got, all beaten up though when they played. So. Yeah, and TCU, yeah, they they got to kind of they had a bunch of guys get experience at the end of the year and they got better. So I think yeah. OU got TCU at their absolute worst on defense, honestly. Um, I, I, you know what, Lee, I, I think in a, in a high leverage situation, if I was, if I was picking, you know, teams, uh, you know, if I was picking between Iowa state or Texas and what defense I would want to have, I'd probably pick Texas's defense because they have better players than Iowa state does. Yeah. Um, I, I just, and, and Texas is just, Texas is good up front. I thought, I, you know, Charles Aminahu is as good really as anybody, that's that the Sooners are going to see this year, you know, minus Quinn and Williams, of course, who they're going to see in the Orange Bowl. Um, 
and you know Texas's linebackers I think are just really active and really fast as well but it no they're they're not particularly comparable I guess to the the best defenses Alabama faced and this is going to sound like I'm ripping on Tua I'm not ripping on Tua the guy had an incredible season I mean this is a guy who who also uh, has broken Baker Mayfield's single season passing efficiency record that he set last year so don't I mean Tua was insane this year I remember you know even in even in October when I, I was looking kind of at Kyler and starting to reflect on, you know, thinking, man, Kyler's having kind of an incredible season. But even at that time, in my mind, I was like, but ah, damn, it's actually really hard to argue against the season that Tua is having if you just kind of objectively look at it. But I think, you know, the last three or four weeks of the season, it, it flipped. Kyler just continued to deliver time and time again, where Tua was just was not necessarily as sharp. And, you know, I, this, it, it counts. I mean, it's a, it's a 14 week season. Everyone plays 12 games and, you know, the 13th game, I guess, uh, decided everything and there's nothing wrong with that. They both had incredible seasons. All these guys had incredible seasons. Um, it's just that, you know, the, the people arguing against Kyler guys, he statistically maybe just had the best season ever in the history of college football for a quarterback. So just kind of, you know, just, just slow your roll a little bit. And, and Tua may have had, had it as well. So if you take Kyler out of it. So it's just, it was a really unique season. And these guys just had really incredible seasons. And, you know, someone had to lose. So I'd like to dispel a couple of the arguments that I've read and heard from those defending Tua. And the first one is, you know, he got hurt. You know, he got hurt in the SEC title game. And, and Tua kind of played hobbled a lot of the season. So, you, you know, you shouldn't hold that against them when it comes to voting for the Heisman Trophy. So here's my... My response to that argument, I'd say, of course, it's unfortunate that he got hurt in the SEC title game. And in any other year where there wasn't a Kyler Murray or even a Dwayne Haskins in the running for the Heisman Trophy, you know, maybe Tua could have gotten hurt in that game like he did and still won. But I think it certainly hurt Tua's chances when he injured his ankle and then Jalen Hurts came in the game and pretty much won the game for Alabama. I, I, I think that performance solidified the common argument that even without Tua, Bama still would have gone unbeaten up to this point. On the flip side, without Kyler Murray, there's no way the Sooners would have gone 12-1 and up to this point, let alone 10-2 and or even 9-3 and for that matter. When your backup comes in and the team elevates its play – and wins because of that backup quarterback, that should hurt your case for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, simply put, Tua was knocked because his team was so good. I mean, his team was so good, so Tua kind of got knocked a little bit for that. It's, it's probably not very fair, but I think in a close race, that's just a metric that should be considered. What are your thoughts on the, the argument that, oh, you, you can't penalize him for getting hurt? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. He he picked he picked the the wrong season to get hurt in the SEC championship game. If this was last year and he was going against you know last year's uh, runners up, he still probably would have walked away with the award easily. Just would have walked to it, even you know after getting hurt in the second half. It's just he picked he picked a season in which the guy on his heels was having maybe the best season ever for a college football quarterback, and that's just that's just bad timing on his part. So I mean we. It, it's very arguable, very arguable that we just saw these two guys statistically have the two best seasons ever for a college football quarterback in the same year. 
And you know, Kyler was just better in the more high leverage situations, and he had better stats. It, it's a, it's a pretty in, in my mind, it's as easy as that, and I don't think that's controversial at all. The other big argument that a lot of Alabama fans like to use was that, oh, I mean, Tua barely played in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, if he played as many snaps and as many times as Kyler Murray, I mean, his numbers would have been a lot better. Right, so here's, here's my response to that argument. Well, I'd say if you're going to play the if game, the hypothetical game, if Kyler Murray played quarterback at Alabama this season, do you think he would have played a lot in the fourth quarter? Eh, probably not. Why is that? Well, because Alabama's offense still would have been pretty awesome with Kyler Murray. And, I mean, we all know Bama's defense still would have been awesome with Kyler Murray instead of Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Now, if Tua had played for Oklahoma, let's flip this, and inevitably he played more in the fourth quarter like Kyler Murray did for OU, do we know how Tua would have played in those tight situations all season long? No, we don't. We have no idea. Maybe he would have been just as great as Kyler was in the fourth quarter all year long in those high-leverage situations that Grant has brought up on this podcast. See, but we'll never know because the guy never played a tight game late with the exception of the SEC title game. And Tua got injured, so we didn't get to see him in crunch time against a very good to great Georgia team. Again, you know, is, is this a fair thing? No, not really. It's not really that fair. I mean, Georgia's really good. It's one of the best one of the best teams in the nation. But still, you know, when the game was tight in the second half, Tua didn't play very well. The one time he got an opportunity in that situation. On the flip side, because of Oklahoma's terrible defense this season, Kyler had to score touchdown after touchdown after touchdown in the second half and in the fourth quarter to help Oklahoma continue to win games. And we just never saw Tua put in that scenario. Again, I keep saying it. I'm like a broken record for the millionth time. It's not necessarily fair, but it's a metric that should be considered when you're voting on the Heisman Trophy. And that's that's my response to, to that narrative of, oh, he didn't play much in the fourth quarter. It's like, well, okay, well, if we're going to play hypotheticals, what if Kyler played for Alabama? You're telling me you don't think Kyler would have done the same thing Tua did this year or pretty close? I, you could argue that maybe Kyler would have been even better than Tua was. I don't know. I mean, because he's just he's more dynamic with his legs than Tua. So, yeah, that's I guess that's my that's my response to that. Did you have anything to add to add to that argument? Not really. I mean, I think this this is this is just not controversial to me at all. all right. I, I don't. It's uh, Kyler Murray. I think is the clear winner here, and that's okay. I, I don't. I mean, Tua is going to have is going to be the runaway favorite. To win it next year. I mean, people forget that he is back, and including all of his receivers as well. Next year, he's going to win it next year. So people just need to kind of calm down. It's good. It's it's okay. Kyler has been the best player this season, week to week. He has had just he has had an outstanding game every single week. And he, you know, w- w- without Kyler Murray, Oklahoma is probably an eight and four team at best this year. And I think that is absolutely relevant. I think he has elevated his team to heights like no one else has this year. And I think that, you know, that obviously, in my mind, defines the most outstanding player in college football this season. Grant, I, let, me, let me push back a bit. I say 2019 Oklahoma football starting quarterback has an issue with you picking Tua to win the Heisman Trophy in 2019. So you're saying, wow, so you're already coming out and saying Tanner Mordecai, 2019 Heisman Trophy winner? So you're on the Mordecai train. I, I, I will, I, Austin Kendall's my ride-or-die guy, man. 
I, I will defend Austin Kendall until he gives me a reason not to. So until he is just relegated to the bench because he gets beaten out, if that happens, Austin Kendall's my guy. But I'm just saying based on the fact that Oklahoma has had back-to-back quarterbacks win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm saying. I'm, it's, yeah. But yeah, I mean, geez, that's... This that was that was sort of the point too of my opening take. I just I I think um, this is so crazy. It's just I I think a lot. I think this season really sort of kind of snuck up on a lot of us just because it's we're kind of used to seeing what Kyler has done this year. Not necessarily with his legs, but we're used to seeing excellence at the quarterback position. So this the season that Kyler has had is not something that it's not something that we really haven't seen before. It's just kind of marginally better than we've seen before, and it's it's. I think it's really hard when we're when we're just sort of ensconced in that excellence these past few years to really reflect on how good it is. And I don't. And it, it's one of those things that, like I said, years down the line, I think when we see much worse quarterback play, we're really going to be able to appreciate these times. I mean, it's just crazy the run of success that Oklahoma has had at this position. Um, and oh, yeah. I, I, just, I mean, you don't even have. To, I mean, you're right about down the road when we see different players play, but just use previous quarterbacks at OU as examples I mean sorry I mean sorry Landry Jones I mean just and Trevor Knight I and mean, granted the the Sugar Bowl was great but just players like that and there's I mean throw a bunch of other random guys that started here and there it's just I mean those guys have their moments but it's like gosh you know Baker Mayfield and the way Kyler's played it's just heck even it's a different era, but even when Josh Heupel was winning a national championship, I mean, his the way he played the quarterback position wasn't anywhere near as good as the way these guys played it. So, just yeah, just think back to those guys, and it's just like, and we all, I mean, and we're already everyone already forgets Jason White, who outside Jason, of yeah, Jason White, who too, outside yeah. of three games had had just an unbelievable career at Oklahoma. I mean, was yeah. was an outstanding player at Oklahoma outside of three really awful games that he had. Hmm. All right. So I mean, he, won, he won a Heisman Trophy. <laughs> he shouldn't yeah, he have won. Did. He shouldn't have won it that year. In fact, he actually he probably deserved it more the next the year after that. I think um, than in two thousand three. <laughs> but um, God, it's yeah. it's just crazy. I mean, they had the pride of Tuttle. Just they, they've they've had Heupel, White, Bradford, Mayfield, and now Kyler Murray. Five guys. I mean, all within twenty seasons. That's that's twenty seasons. That's that's insane. I mean, five guys who I, I think unquestionably would be the best quarterbacks in the history of of pretty much every program ever. Um, it, it's just insane. And, and OU has had them, you know, five five times in the last twenty seasons is is pretty unbelievable. And, and uh, I guess I guess Kyler kind of changes this because because uh, of the way Kyler was regarded coming out of high school. But Oklahoma didn't recruit Kyler. Kyler transferred. Of of all the guys, all these great quarterbacks over the years. Wasn't uh, the one time Oklahoma got a five star, Rhett Bomar, and that didn't really pan out very well? Was he like, was wasn't he a five star guy? Yeah, he was. Him and him and uh, Peterson were both top five yeah. guys nationally, I think. And so all these other guys that have been great. I mean, like Bradford was a three star player. I don't even think Jason White was. Jason White was a was like a two star. Uh, yeah, Landry Jones was a uh, was a fairly high four star. I think he was okay. a top one. He was a top one hundred guy. He's, I mean. Uh, Trevor Knight. Yeah. Trevor Knight was like a fringe four star. Yeah, he's a four star. He's yeah, a four star guy. Blake yeah. Bell was a was a top one hundred four star. Who um, just was moonlight playing quarterback, even though he was basically a tight end moonlighting uh, Cody, as a quarterback. Cody Thomas was a top one hundred four star. 
Just no five, no big five stars. I mean, Rousseau I guess five star quarterbacks a, don't come around a lot. Uh, Justice Hansen, who's a, who's a senior at Arkansas State now, he was a top one hundred four star as well. I think. Um, Hell but yeah, uh, the guy at the guy at FAU now is a uh, Robertson. I think he was Robertson was well. also a top one hundred guy. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, I mean, of course now you got Murray, who was a who was a, like a, a unanimous five star guy. Yeah, but uh, and he was. I mean, oh, you did recruit him. He just he just didn't. He or just he, went. To, he just he just sure, went to A and M. Yeah, he went to A and M. Um, all right, so Alabama, not surprisingly, so I this this could not. It's a great night. Everything's going well for Oklahoma, but also you could on the flip side, this is a terrible night because uh, Alabama's favored by two touchdowns in their Orange Bowl grant, but it that line's going to move to Alabama by fifty because they just saw their guy who had an awesome year and any other season would easily win the Heisman Trophy, not win it. And so now uh, Saturday night you had some of these defensive players from Alabama. This is not surprising, you know. Mac Wilson, one of their linebackers, tweeting that he's not happy. Isaiah Bugs is a defensive lineman. He just tweeted December 29th. Some other guys, you know, tweeted out December 29th. Uh, Thomas Fletcher, I think he's their long snapper, <laughs> posted, "Don't they know not to poke the bear?" So, uh, and even even one of the Alabama position coaches tweeted out December 29th. Of course, that's the day of the Orange Bowl. So, you know, they're they're using that. I mean, Alabama's always favored. They're always expected to win. So that that program, anytime it can get some motivation or some nobody believes in us kind of stuff, you better believe it's going to use it because it didn't come around a lot because everybody thinks Alabama's going to win all the time. So in a way... Kyler winning the Heisman Trophy, that's that's not great for Oklahoma's chances, Grant. What are your thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> I mean, I find the whole thing really silly. It's just, you know, Alabama's defensive players don't play on their offense, so they're not going against Oklahoma's defense. I mean, it's just the the whole thing is I think is just kind of silly. I to the to the Alabama defensive players who are upset. And who are it was it it was bugs I mean, they're, who said they're they're back in their guy. They're yeah, no, I mean I'm fine with that. I'm just like I mean, if, if they need this to give them extra motivation to play in a national semi semifinal game, then then sure, I guess. And of course, I mean they're competitors. I'm sure they're gonna be excited to go against the Heisman trophy winner. But I mean I I guess I'll I, I feel like a lot of the same stuff was kind of coming out of Georgia's camp last year too. And I guess to that I just have to say good luck. I mean it's it's not Go the the Gary Patterson route. Yeah, like, good luck just, with, I mean, good luck with those guys. Because I mean, fun. this is, I mean, this is this is uh, Kyler Murray is a guy who who can throw the ball better than I mean, by an order of magnitude better than anyone you've seen all season, and he's also the fastest player that you've probably played against all season as well from the quarterback position. And this guy is an absolute nightmare to stop. Um, and so to those defensive linemen who are out the linebackers, I mean, you're you're going to be the ones who are kind of tasked with stopping Murray. And to that, I just say good luck. Because, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's going to make some plays on you. So, um, yeah, looking at Alabama's schedule as far as the offenses they've played, the only, obviously, there's no quarterback that can compare to Murray's, uh, his ability to, to run and scramble when he needs to. And, I mean, there's nobody in the country really that compares to that, except for, I guess, maybe, I honestly, I haven't seen Khalil Tate play all season long because Arizona's been so bad. So I just haven't had any reason to watch them. But I know Khalil Tate was, big with his legs a year, a year ago yeah he, he was he was non-existent with his legs this year I think he it was it was like bad I don't even think he'd, he he had, he had a very like minute okay. amount of of rushing yards this year 
but okay. So aside from that, though, but when you talk like the you know just pure quarterback throwing the football, the only guy that Georgia has, I just gave it away. Like Alabama has faced this year that that can throw the ball close to Murray is Jake Fromm at Georgia, and that just was last week. I mean, Jake Fromm has gotten so much better. Don't come at me with Drew Locke at Missouri. Drew Locke is a player who pads his stats against bad teams, and he faces a, a real team, with the exception of randomly Florida this year. Had to have been his best game of his career because he actually like ripped up Florida in the swamp, which came out of nowhere. Aside from that, Drew Locke does not play well against real teams. He was okay against Georgia, I guess, this season as well. Uh, point being, though, I mean, Jake Fromm can throw the ball around a little bit, and he had some success against Alabama's defense in the SEC title game. Uh, so they, they haven't seen a guy, though, like Kyler Murray. Nobody has. I mean, n- nobody had seen a guy like Baker Mayfield last year. I mean, Georgia hadn't seen anybody near or close to Baker Mayfield last year going into that game. And uh, it showed in the first half. It just, to Georgia's credit, obviously, they adjusted after halftime. That's, so I just wanted to point that out. Um, let's see. Just because, just because, just to be uh, to be nice, Dwayne Haskins, uh, dude, picked a really bad year to be really good. Picked a really bad year. I mean, Ohio State fans, I know, thought that some people thought he was going to win the Heisman. Uh, those people probably aren't very plugged in when it comes to Vegas and things like that. I mean, there's, you want to hear you want to hear my theory no, on that? There was no shot. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, similar to how I described OU fans were sort of kind of ensconced in just this this bubble of quarterback excellence right now, I sort of think it's the reverse of that with Ohio State fans. Their entire fan base, their entire program's history, they're used to seeing more kind of ground and pound teams. This is the first time they've they've truly seen the air raid. This is the first time they've ever seen a passing attack like that, and they simply cannot... Uh, they just don't understand how someone can do that in their program and not win the Heisman Trophy. That's a pretty good theory. They don't. They don't. They don't. They don't realize that other programs and other players have been doing that for about ten to fifteen years already. So it's a Big Ten thing. I mean, he had. I was reading some articles. Apparently, he had the best season ever for a Big Ten quarterback. And this is a program, Ohio State, that saw Troy Smith win the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> so I mean, obviously, Dwayne Haskins' year was much better than Troy Smith's Heisman Trophy season. I mean, I don't even have to look at the numbers to know that that's true. So, yeah, that's pretty good theory, Grant, because they've seen all these Big Ten teams and players and and that program, and every once in a while, sure, they'll see, like, Oklahoma last year and a good team. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of get in that bubble, and and you're you're surprised whenever your guy has a good season like that. A great season, don't get me wrong. He was great. I mean, he was certainly deserving to be a finalist, but he just – he was a step below both Tua and Kyler Murray. I suppose – one last thing before we move on. Late Saturday night, the news came out from USA Today, I think was the one that that had the story about some offensive tweets that Kyler had in the past or whatever when he was 14 or 15 years old. And then Sunday morning, and we're recording this on Sunday, Kyler Murray, I guess, found out about that or heard about that and then apologized on Twitter for the tweets or whatever and then I just saw a moment ago I didn't hear what he had to say but James Brown on the NFL today on Sunday morning I guess asked him about it so I, I did, again I didn't hear what he said but I'm gonna guess that he probably just said a lot of the same things he said in the tweet and so anyways that's we just it's I guess it's a story 
just wanted to bring that up just in case you all out there are wondering what we think about it. My thoughts, when I saw that, one of my buddies texted me that that was a thing and he just said, oh, here we go again because this has happened with uh, what, you know Dante DiVincenzo after that you know, after the NCAA basketball thing and that one of those a pitcher or maybe even two pitchers after like no hitters. And so I, all I have to say on this is Kyler, you didn't have to apologize for this. I get why you did apologize. I just don't think you had to apologize for this. And it's, it's disheartening because when you apologize for stuff like this, then it, it means that it's going to keep happening and whoever feels the need to go back and find old stuff, especially in this case, when it's a kid that's in his, you say he was 14 or 15. Uh, it's just, everyone says stupid things. I mean, nobody's perfect. And we're just in an age where now people can put it out there in the public. So who cares? I, there's heck. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if I ever become famous, I, I don't know if, you know, what I tweeted back when I first got Twitter in 2010, I don't know. I mean, there could be some stupid things that I posted that I don't know about. I mean, I've always kind of had like a professional demeanor since I've had Twitter because I've just known that I'm going to be in the media. And so, I mean, hopefully I wasn't an idiot back then. You know, I got, I got Twitter when I was in college. So, I, you know, I'd like to think that I, I'm pretty, I'm good, but I don't know. But point being, like I said, I don't think Kyler needed to apologize for this. I understand why he did just because that's the way things are these days. And it's annoying because I think things like this will continue to happen. And um, maybe when I get more time to think about this, because this is stuff like this, I think deserves a little bit more nuance even though it really shouldn't, to be honest with you. Maybe I'll, I'll expand more on my thoughts at a later date if, if needed, but uh, that's all I have to say now, Grant. I'll let you voice your opinion. Yeah, I thought a lot of what you said is, is pretty much spot on, and, and there's not really, and rightfully so, Lee, there's not really anybody that I've seen so far that's really hammering Ky- Kyler over this. It's mostly condemnation for the people who dug up the tweets uh, because I think a lot of people see this for what it is, and it's just total garbage. Um, I don't think anybody wants to live in a society where we take incredibly seriously the stupid stuff that we say when we're 14 and 15 years old. And the reason why we don't want to live in a society like that is because uh, there is nobody who is innocent under those guidelines. Not a single person in this country is. Um, So I think I will just... Um, I, I'm gonna, I'll wrap this up by saying I think social media is an absolutely incredibly negative force in our society, and we'd all be better off if it, if it disappeared as fast as humanly possible. That's all I have to say about it. On that note, like the West of Evers Facebook page on Facebook and follow Grant and I on Twitter. Uh, but yeah. No, I think ultimately that's a, that's a question that um, I guess will have to answer for the rest of our lives is social media inherently good or inherently bad. And I think the results so far, even though it's a very small window relative to our entire existence and how long it's been around for based on how long the world's been around for, uh, I think social media has been a net negative on everybody. So 
We're going to talk all about the Oklahoma defensive coordinator rumors here in a second. But first, <laughs> this this does kind of seem funny now. I, I do want to encourage you all to subscribe to West of Everest on iTunes if you have not already. You know, when you're a subscriber, you ensure that you don't miss an episode. Also, if you've enjoyed listening to the show, please leave a rating and or a review. The ratings and reviews keep on coming in, and they're all incredibly positive. I said all. To be, to be completely honest, they're not all because there's some negative stuff. Not everyone's perfect. But uh, for the most part, everything's positive. So thank you all for that. Again, uh, follow Grant on Twitter at Grant Benson 25. And I'm at Lee Benson News 9. You know, hopefully it's not a net negative following us on Twitter. And you can email the show if you'd like West of Everest at gmail.com. So let's go into the defensive coordinator talk. And this is something that we haven't touched on a whole lot so far in this podcast. And I think that's mainly because this podcast is mostly about the OU football games, what we see on the field, us dissecting OU football play-by-play, game-by-game, things like that. A lot of the D.C. talk has been of the rumor variety. And for the record, Lincoln Riley, not to my knowledge, he's never once said that he's planning on bringing in a new person to run the Oklahoma defense after this year. I'm, I'm sure that's a calculated move to keep this team together and not alienate anybody. But I think it's important to acknowledge that Riley has never mentioned that he's trying to hire a new D.C. publicly. Having said that, we're slightly less than three weeks until the Orange Bowl. Grant and I still have a lot more homework to do on Alabama. So instead of us just throwing out random stuff here and there that may or may not be true about this OU-Bama matchup, let's dive into this defensive coordinator rumor discussion. And there's been two names that always seem to come up, Grant. Alabama co-defensive coordinator Pete Golding and Ohio State co-defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. I've done a little bit of digging into both guys, and they both certainly seem to be nice candidates. I've also got a couple other names of coaches that may be pretty good defensive coordinators at Oklahoma. Uh, The problem is, though, they also may be guys who have no chance to come to Norman and haven't even been mentioned by anybody or haven't even thought about leaving their current jobs. So uh, they, they could mean nothing, but, you know, this is a podcast, and, you know, why not? Can throw out a couple other names of people that I think might be pretty good or, or have who have had success coordinating defenses in the past. So, Grant, let's do this. Uh, okay, first thing I want to discuss is the timing of a potential hire. Do you envision Oklahoma making a defensive coordinator hire before the Orange Bowl? I think as of now, I think it looks like it's nothing is going to be is going to happen until their season is over. I think as of now, Lincoln Riley. It seems like he has you know. He, he, he truly does believe that they have an opportunity to win a national title. I don't think he's going to upset the apple cart by bringing in anybody new right now. I think he wants total focus on the issue at hand right now, which is beating Alabama. I just And, and you even see like I, the assistant coaches are out right now recruiting and everything. I, just, I, I don't see anything imminent right now. I think the, the soonest that we're going to see a hire is, is right after the new year, probably, you know, depending on what happens in the Orange Bowl. But no, I don't. I, I don't expect anything within the next month or so. Yeah, and that's a good point, and I agree with that. And and a lot of it too is what you said is, it's continuity, it's a focus on winning a national. Excuse me, it's focus on winning a national championship, and there's no reason to throw any weird karma or weird juju into that formula right now. So yeah, I'm with you, and and so. We have that out of the way, and again, we haven't seen any, any any indications that there is going to be a hire anytime soon. So, let's talk about the two guys. Uh, P. 
Pete Golding and Alex Grinch. And I know these are two names that we've briefly mentioned, a, I think, a couple times on the podcast here and there, but we haven't really gone into detail on these guys. So I'm struggling to decide where we start here. Uh, should we kind of go over each guy the way – what we think about each each defensive coordinator and then kind of go from there? I mean, uh, do you have – let's start with you, Grant. So when I say Pete Golding, what uh, what do you know about him? Well, Lee, the first thing I know about him is that he does have deep uh, kind of this part of the country ties. I talk about, you know, just um, – the Southwest, uh, Texas a lot. He spent some time there. He was the defensive coordinator. This is kind of where he made a name for himself. He was a defensive coordinator, Lee, um, at UTSA for a couple of years. Um, you know, you, you know me, I really like S&P. He took a team that I think uh, finished kind of in the 90s in S&P the, when he first took over, and he got them down into the 20s. Um, from a raw defensive uh, perspective, I think UTSA had a top 10 defense in the country um, in 2017, his last year as the UTSA defensive coordinator. Um he was the uh, he was the defensive backs coach Lee at Southern Miss for a couple years as well. I'm um, just looking at his um, at his resume. He does have you know he does have defensive coordinator experience. He's been a defensive coordinator Lee at at four different schools up to this point, um, and, and now the co DC at Alabama. It looks like he has a he's currently the the linebackers coach at Alabama, but it looks like his history is more in defensive backs um, everywhere except for Alabama. He was a defensive backs coach as well, um, which I think of, of course is is particularly attractive to Oklahoma right now who has just really struggled in the secondary for for a handful of years now um Lee from what I know about Pete Golding is is he's a he's a young fiery guy who plays a really aggressive uh, brand of defense which I think this that's exactly what this program is starved for and I think you know if you ask anybody he's probably the favorite amongst the 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 fan base right now but I think you know when when any time it's going to be assistant coaches coming up, people aren't going to know a whole lot about them outside of just their reputation. And, uh, you know, Pete Golding was hired by Nick Saban, and that's about as, as much of a recommendation as you possibly can get in college football. And I think that's, that's mostly why people are excited about Pete Golding. So some more stats to add to the S&P numbers and the raw numbers you, you brought up. He was the UTSA defensive coordinator and uh, also the DBs coach at UTSA from 2016 to 2017. So just just two seasons. And prior to him getting there in 2015, you know, this is a yards per play podcast. UTSA allowed 5.9 yards per play in 2015 before Golding got there. The two years after that, uh, the two years Golding was there, the first year and the second year in 2016, a slight improvement went from 5.9 yards per play to 5.6 yards per play and then 2017 a massive jump went to 4.9 yards per play so a huge jump from from 16 to 17 and just a, a raw you know yards per game metric in 2015 444 yards per game Golding's first season that improved by 52 yards to 392 yards per game and then a massive jump from 16 to 17, more than 100 yards difference. It went from 392 yards per game average to 287, and I believe that was a top 10 defense, as you mentioned. So, uh, so those are those numbers there. A couple more. You know, a big thing right now with this Oklahoma defense is we we rag on the secondary. The secondary is so bad. It just it's a pass happy conference, and it's a secondary that is very very bad against the pass and it's just it's it's 
it's so hard to watch. And so you think there's got to be some new instruction injected into this program in the coming in the coming months. So how is Pete Golding done? His team's done against the pass. And you mentioned he's a DB's guy for the most part. He's coached defensive backs. And his last year at UTSA, the uh, pass efficiency of the opposition was ranked 12th in the nation, 112 passer rating. And that improved uh, improved every year. I mean, uh, the year before it was 130, which was okay. And then the year before that, it was 138 before he got there. And that, that's pretty bad. Uh, just and what all these numbers, you know, what do they mean? They're tough. Just just for reference, in 2017, UTSA's pass efficiency defense was 12th in the nation at 112. OU last season was 135, 85th in the nation. And I get it. The Big 12 is a lot more dangerous than what does UTSA even play in the Sun Belt? I don't even know. Uh, off the top of my head, that's bad. I should I think know they're that. in the Conference USA. In Conference USA, one of those. So obviously, like there's there's a difference there. But you know, he's working with players that aren't the caliber players that Oklahoma's going to get. Uh, and also, just the last metric that I like to look at: turnovers. Before Pete Golden got there in 2015, UTSA forced 14 turnovers. And in 2016, Pete Golding's first year, they forced four more turnovers. So they went from 14 turnovers to 18 turnovers. And then in 2017, when UTSA's defense was phenomenal, they forced 22 turnovers. So the turnovers improved each and every year. And, of course, turnovers has been a huge problem for Oklahoma for the most part. Granted, the last couple of games, uh, at least the West Virginia game specifically, Oklahoma forced some huge turnovers and got a couple touchdowns, which was nuts. But for the most part, Oklahoma has not been able to force turnovers and Pete Golding's defenses seem like they're pretty good at forcing some turnovers compared to what Oklahoma has been doing. A couple other thoughts on Pete Golding that that uh, I've kind of gathered. Uh, I'm not sure if I've told this story on the podcast before, but last uh, last year after the Rose Bowl when Oklahoma lost and the thought was, uh, well, I mean, that's got to be it, right? I mean, yeah, you know, my argument was that when it came down to it, the Oklahoma offense actually came up short because Oklahoma's offense is so good and you want them on the field in critical situations and Oklahoma's offense just didn't get it done, even though the defense gave up all those points to Georgia. The defense got a touchdown. Uh, they, they only allowed 17 points in the first half. Uh, the defense put Oklahoma, for the most part, in position to win. That was my stance in the Rose Bowl. Having said that, though, the defense was still bad. I kind of figured, like a lot of people probably thought, Mike Stoops is going to get fired after the Rose Bowl. And so there was a time when I was thinking, you know what? Who could Oklahoma get? Let's just, just haven't heard any names, haven't heard, because he obviously Mike Stoops was still there, so there was, no, there was no opening. And I remember looking up just some numbers and doing some research and digging, and I came across Pete Golding because I was looking at, yards per play and how teams have improved and I came across UTSA and I was like wow wow their defense has improved like over the last couple of years who's their defensive coordinator because you always look at those kind of group of five schools you know find that up-and-coming coach and I saw Pete Golding all right let's see let's let's google him let's look more information on him so I googled his name and did research come to find out like a day or two before Alabama had hired him and so I thought, oh, all right, well, I guess he's not uh, in the running, and he must be pretty good because Nick Saban, as you mentioned, hired the guy. 
So I think that was uh, – so for the record, let the record show, I discovered Pete Golding, um, and everyone should know that. So I'll, I will accept uh, all of your uh, praise and awards on that. Well done. So Luke. that's yeah. – Proud of you. Uh, the other thing – I know I'm kind of rambling. A uh, couple other things on Pete Golding. You mentioned the, uh, the Nick Saban thing. Uh, that's huge. The last thing I have on him, you know, Bama runs a 3-4 defense, and – Obviously, Bama's defense is always really good. So, obviously, Mike Stoops has been running the 3-4 at Oklahoma for the past six, seven years with, for the most part, negative results, especially the past three seasons. So, if Golding is a 3-4 guy, I'd be interested to see if Oklahoma could get the guy to come in, and I'd be interested to see if he could field a better 3-4 defense, kind of, you know, especially initially with the same kind of players Oklahoma has. I just, since he clearly has... Has at least for this year. I'm not sure what his defense was. I, at I think UTSA. he was he was a he was a nickel guy at UTSA. I think he was four two five. Okay, so that's just that's the last kind of note I had on 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 Golding. It's just more just playing off the fact that he's got that year now under his belt at Alabama. Um, before we go to Alex Grinch too, Grant, I I do want to bring this stuff up. I was listening to a Ole Miss rivals podcast. Because there's been some rumors that Ole Miss is also trying to get Pete Golding. And so I listened to this podcast. It's called uh, the Oxford Exxon Podcast, and it came out a couple days ago. And one of the guys on the podcast, there's two guys, and he, he literally said it's a fact that Pete Golding and Ole Miss has agreed to terms. One of the guys said that. And the other guy, honestly, was not as strong on that. He didn't like. He didn't straight up say no. That's not a fact. But they, for whatever reason, they said that's a fact. Uh, so I don't know what that means. Like, if they're just I mean, these are old. I'm mean, guessing these are old Miss insiders. And then that same podcast and that same episode said that uh, you know earlier in the week, and I'm talking about last week, uh, Bama was worried about Oklahoma getting Pete Golding. And uh, one of the guys on the podcast said that, to his understanding, Golding told Oklahoma the timing wasn't right. So, uh, sure, I'm a uh, I'm report. This isn't even really reporting. This is this is me having a podcast and just kind of reporting rumors that uh, you know. Ole Miss insiders had on a podcast so I just wanted to throw that out there I don't know if you heard any of that yeah, stuff. Lee, this is just where it gets kind of a slippery slope because I just I, I think it's really going to be all quiet on this front at least for the next few weeks it was I I, th- I think you know once it was Alabama versus Oklahoma it was never going to be peak olding at least not within the next three weeks um, there's just there's just no way logistically you could make that higher and so, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of smoke towards Pete Golding. And, of course, just this matchup has really complicated things. So about the Ole Miss thing, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if it's, it's all rumors at this point. It, hasn't been, it has not been reported by anybody. Is it possible? Sure. But I, we, we just don't know at this point. Um, and I think it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that becomes a lot clearer, um, you know, after the Orange Bowl, I think. So we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens. I just, I, it's, it's so hard for me to get too worked up about rumors one way or the other because so much can change. Nothing has been reported. We just, we just don't know. And so I think right now we, we, we're, we're sort of just being cursed right now just by the bull buy. There's not a ton, there's not a ton to talk about right now. It, it's sort of a more, it, it's a more unique situation than last year. This is a game when, when OU is just, it really is a decided underdog. Last year, the, the, you know, going into the Rose Bowl, the, the thought was it was basically a toss-up. There was a lot more to analyze. 
Um, you know, Oklahoma is, is an underdog to Alabama for a reason. And I think that's going to make, you know, talking about the game, maybe not as interesting as it was last year going up against Georgia. And I think this is part of it as well. Uh, there's just, there, there's not as much to talk, talk about from a matchup perspective. There hasn't been a football game played in 10 days now. I, you know, I, I get it, but I just, I, it's hard for me to kind of twist myself into a pretzel over this stuff before a game is even played. Um, I, I'm just, you know, I, I understand and, and I'm, I'm excited about peak holding as well, or at least the possibility of it. And I'd be disappointed if, if another team swoops in and get, gets him, especially the team, you know, the program, the quality of Ole Miss. I think that would be kind of a kick in the stomach a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I just, I, it's, I'm going to take it in stride. It's is to me everything has has sort of worked out. I mean, I I can't believe they somehow recovered and still made the playoffs after firing Mike Stoops. And I I still can't believe that happened. I mean, this is this is just a really unique situation. Um and yeah, it's it you know, it's sports. It doesn't really matter all that much. It's fun to talk about. That's essentially where and, we are and really, right now. Yeah, I don't know. We're, and, just, and, we're and, just discussing rumors. And, and I mean, really, that's... yeah, exactly. And really how it is, n- nobody really knows a lot about Pete Golding or Alex Grinch. We know we, we know just sort of the ancillary stuff. About Pete Golding, we know that he had a really good defense at UTSA after after them not being good for a really long time. He came in and, and, ha- and showed just you know really great quick turnaround there and of course and then going over to Alex Grinch what we know about him Lee is that he's a Mount Union guy and that NFL guys really like Mount Union guys Matt Campbell is a Mount Union guy they're just a powerhouse D3 program so that's a good pedigree there and also Lee he he's from the Mike Leach tree and that he has you know he, he has experience marrying a defense with uh with an air raid kind of an up-tempo type of offense that scores a lot that's really all we know about these guys and the fact that they they were poached by arguably the two best coaches in college football that's what we know about them that's why they're so um that's why they're so courted by these other teams and you know i i just what else are we going to learn other than that uh they're they're at there are two schools right now where they're not the head guys. They're kind of just ancillary figures. Um, so it's just, it, it's, it's hard to know a whole lot about them. So, yeah, you mentioned Alex Grinch. He's the co-defensive coordinator at, at Ohio state right now. And he's also the safeties coach at Ohio state. And prior to that, you mentioned Mike Leach. He was at Washington, <clears throat> excuse me, Washington state from 2015 to 2017. And um, you look at those numbers and really only 2017 is when Washington State's defense was was great. Uh, 15 and 16, the defense was kind of what Washington State's kind of been. I mean, it gives up uh, one year, six yards per play. The other year, 5.7 yards per play. Giving up a you know, decent amount of yards through the air. Uh, the the one consistent thing, though, from Alex Grinch's defense is all three years at Washington State, turnovers, a lot of turnovers forced. 2015, 24 turnovers, 2016, 23 turnovers, and 2017, 28 turnovers, which was tied for ninth in college football. Uh, in 2017, 5.1 yards per play. That improved almost one full yard from 2016 when they allowed 6.0 yards per play and uh, allowed 323 yards per game. So, I mean... And, and against the pass, Washington State was great in 2017 as well. So uh, Alex Grinch had a, had a fantastic 2017, much like Pete Golding had a fantastic 2017. However, Alex Grinch did it in the Pac-12. 
did it in a conference, a Power Five conference. And again, like you mentioned, uh, you know, under Mike Leach, who's an offensive guy. And like you said, you know, the theory would be that that Alex Grinch understands how to field a competent defense on a team with an elite offensive identity. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of what we know about Alex Grinch. He has been nominated for the Burroughs Award three different times. And in that 2017 season, when Washington State's defense was incredibly good, he was a semifinalist for that award. That's all the notes I have on Alex Grinch. And, and I mean, you gave a little bit of stuff there, too. The question would be, and maybe by listening to us talk, you might already know the answer to this. I mean, who, you know, if it if it came down to these two guys and Oklahoma could make a decision, could pick, you know, who would you prefer? My answer would be Pete Golding. What would your answer be? I don't know. It's, it's a coin flip for me. I'm, I, I go back and forth. I, I think for a long time, I, I Golding I was the guy I really wanted, but now and kind of the more I think about it, I think Alex Grinch doesn't sound bad to me. You know, he is, and this is something um, that Josh McQuistion over at Sooner Scoop has, has talked about a lot that Alex Grinch, he is, he's a disciple and he's a believer in, in what they call pace defense, which is that ability to marry your, def- your defense with that high-powered offense, and that he understands that there are seminal moments in games where you need to get the ball back to your offense, or um, and, and he's able to kind of call his defense in that way. And also, too, I wanted to bring up uh, not, you know, he, he's his his defenses have have always produced takeaways, and he his defense have all, ha, has also always produced heavy tackle for loss numbers as well. He is a very aggressive attacking defense. Um, they they really try to get you behind the chains on first and second down, or at least that's what that's what Washington State did a lot in 2017. Um, so I and that's something that that all is right. really uh, that that I you know kind of really like, and also it, it's different too because these are guys who don't you know they don't necessarily have obvious connections to to Oklahoma's program or even that tree. I mean, Alex Grinch is from Ohio. Um, you know, yeah. you, you would think, you know, he, he may be an Ohio state guy, but at the same time, he also uh, was a, was a GA at Missouri when they were in the big 12 as well. So it's not like he hasn't spent time here. I mean, he also spent three seasons at Missouri as, as a safety coach uh, before he was a defensive coordinator at Washington state as well. So um, I, I'm, I'm sure he is at least a little bit familiar with recruiting, you know, the, the the southwest like texas and that area and probably the sec as well because he was in missouri so it's interesting for sure and you know what i mean lincoln riley might have 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 a guy you know a a completely different guy who is who's like in the mac or something that he that he really likes that nobody has you know any sort of feel on so i don't know it's it's really hard for me to get too worked up over this right now especially with a playoff game coming up and, and the season that they've had i am kind of starting to get to the point where i think um you know, absent, absent, you know, Lincoln Riley making the decision to keep everybody on the staff. I just, I don't, I don't really see any sort of scenario where he makes just a, a dreadfully awful hire. I, I don't, I, I think he realizes how important this is. And I, I'm, I'm totally okay with, with allowing everything to shake out because especially with these two guys where, you know, with Grinch and Golding, I mean, there are some unique circumstances of where they are. Golding being at Alabama and being the co-DC, we have no idea how much Saban covets the guy or or the status of this offer, this this presumed offer at Ole Miss. And then, of course, with Grinch, we with Urban Meyer retiring, we don't know the status there. Presumably, he was brought on as a guy who's an up-and-comer who, who Urban Meyer wanted, and now we don't know who or how Alex Grinch you know, fits in on Ryan Day's staff there. So I think all of that is going to become a lot clearer after December 29th. And, and really, I'm just along for the ride. The more that we get more information, the more that I think I'll be able to add my my more thoughtful thoughts, for, for lack of a better term. 
All right, that's good. Good stuff. Any now is there <clears throat> is there any other defensive coordinators or coaches out there that you've randomly come across or you've noticed and thought, man, that guy, that I like that guy. It'd be great if that guy was the Oklahoma defensive coordinator. Anybody out there that that you'd like to just throw out out there just because it's fun to think about? Well, I I totally you you gave me this assignment a few days ago and I totally failed on this. So I'll just go back to the two guys that I've always really liked. They're older guys. I don't um I, I don't know if they particularly fit exactly here, but the first guy that I've always really liked Lee is Jim Levitt. He is the former head coach at South Florida. Um a few years ago here he's the current DC at Oregon. Um but a few years ago he he kind of got back into coaching. He was the DC at Colorado in the season that Colorado uh, was in the Pac-12 championship game, and they they won 10 games. Mike McIntyre was a, was a head coach there who got a lot of credit. I think all of that credit probably should have gone to Jim Levitt for that season, who fielded a really nice defense. And he also coached uh, some, some NFL defensive backs who have gone through there and have had some good seasons in the NFL as well. Um, he's uh, he, he does have some Big 12 ties. I think uh, he, he he's, uh, I think he's from the Bill Snyder tree. And so, you know, he was fired from USF for you know some some questionable treatment of his players. So I don't know how that uh, how that flies, but you know that that was also a decade ago. So a lot of water under the bridge there. And Lee, the second guy is Pete Kwiatkowski over at uh, over at Washington, who has been Chris Peterson's defensive coordinator pretty much throughout his entire tenure. And all he's done is really just is just churn out top ten S and P defenses his entire career. Okay, that's some good guys. I have a couple of random names that that assuredly will not. I just I can't imagine they'll be brought up. But last year, back when I was doing all that research and then I came across Pete Golding's name, I came across a couple other names, too. And so I, I go back to them now because it's difficult to really dive in and find those up and coming guys. I mean, if you really want to dive in and research I mean, I even like searched some articles and stuff like that, you know, and even some of these these articles aren't even that good because you get guys names and you're like, I don't know. And you see that they're not even having that good of seasons this year. And uh, so here you go. So here here are the two names. And again, this is total shot in the dark. But the first one, Scotty Hazleton. You might be thinking, who's that that guy? Close. Actually, App State was one of the potential teams I was looking at uh, they have a first year defensive coordinator going on right now his name escapes me uh, and App State's defense has been fantastic this season so I mean he, he could be a guy you know if App State's defense continues to be really good but you got to look at but I know I think is App State's head coach Neil Brown no that's that, Troy that's uh, Troy's head coach App okay. State does not have a head Satterfield. coach right now. Satterfield just got hired at Louisville so oh did he or Louisville oh, that. Louisville after uh after old Brom didn't want to go so so no, so Scotty Hazelton is the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Wyoming, and Wyoming is a. And what really stood out to me about Hazelton, this is his second year on the job. He's been there, you know, last year and then now 2018, and this season, the Wyoming defense has allowed 4.8 yards per play, which is really good. Last season, the Wyoming defense allowed 4.6 yards per play, so a little bit even better than this year. But the big thing, so those are his two years, but this is what I found fascinating. Before he came in, and I believe he came in with a brand-new coaching staff, 
uh, and they got the whole new coaching staff, I think, from North Dakota State. And that was when Craig Bull. Craig Bull came from, I believe, North Dakota State or North Dakota, one of those elite FCS It was NDSU. Okay, and he just would win a bunch of titles at NDSU and came to D1. And I believe Craig Bull brought, you know, Hazleton's Craig Bull's guy, and he brought him with. And so prior, Wyoming in 2016, yards per play grant, that defense, 6.9. Defense was terrible. And in a year, improved it from 6.9 yards per play to 4.6. I mean, two and a half yards per, per play. So that's, like literally, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, even if you return a ton of experience, that's hard to do. I mean, you don't six point nine yards per play is dreadful. And then that and then I mean, you, it was it was almost last in the country. And then you transform to I mean, to very good to borderline elite. Yeah, and I get it. It's Wyoming, they're in the Mountain West. It's not like they're playing Big Twelve teams or but still that is that shows uh a, a, an ability to coach. And so that's why – so that guy jumped out at me. But, again, he could be one of those defensive coordinators that uh, – and he's a pretty young guy too from what I understand. I think he's maybe mid to late 30s, possibly maybe early 40s. So, I mean, he's not, he's not like Lincoln Riley young, but no, not many people are. Uh, so that's, that's the first one that um, really jumped out at me. Can I – Go ahead. I'll, yeah. Just my thoughts on that is I, I don't and, – and Scotty Hazel, that's, that's a name that I recognize. I think I looked him up too. Um, where I would get a little concerned there, uh, North Dakota State, Lee, they've, they kind of, as a defense, as a program, they've kind of made their hay as a 4-3 defense, and they still, they still are in the 4-3 a lot of the time. Um, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure if that's what they're running at Wyoming also. Um, you know, frankly speaking, you, you can't run the 4-3 in the Big 12. You, you just can't. And I know that's what, you know, ironically, that's kind of what Oklahoma is doing right now. But uh, you can't do that over the course of the full season and, and hold up. Um, I, I think, you know, whoever it's going to be, I think it, it's got to be a guy who has proven that he can put out a competent defense that is aggressive and can tackle uh, with, with more than five defensive backs on the field, I, I think is the most important thing, especially in the Big 12. So, um, and that's without knowing a ton about Hazleton and what they're running right now at Wyoming. But um, I, I do find it kind of hard to believe that they're in a base nickel or dime defense a lot of the time, which I think is probably something that Oklahoma is going to need. Fair enough. And the other guy that, that came that kind of jumped out at me, and this one is is also there's pretty much no chance that this is uh, – I you shouldn't say ever no chance because actually this this next guy has some – Oklahoma ties actually and this is uh, and I mentioned Neil Brown a moment ago is, is Neil Brown still there is he gonna get hired somewhere else did ne- you hear is, is that Neil Brown is, is still at Troy he's still there all right so Neil Brown's defensive coordinator right now at Troy I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name Vic Koning or Koenig K-O-E-N-N-I-N-G probably Koenig and this guy's been around for a long time I mean that, that's he's he's older he's he's almost 60 years old but uh, he's from Oklahoma. He's from the Tulsa area. He's from Owasso. And he has a history. And I'll just give you his history. I mean, he's, he, in 2009, he, he was on the Kansas State staff. So he's been in the Big 12 for at least for a year. Uh, he's got some defensive coordinator experience all throughout his career. He's actually randomly at Wyoming in the late 90s. So speaking of Hazleton, uh, he's actually on his second stint at Troy. And actually, his first stint at Troy was 03 to 04. And then after Troy, he got a job. He was Clemson's defensive coordinator from 05 to 2008. And obviously, this is, this is pre what Clemson is now. 
So, it, you know, it sounds great now. Oh, Clemson. Wow. But obviously Clemson was a lot different back in the mid to late 2000s. But the reason why he jumped out at me is that uh, Troy's defense has been really good in, in the last you know years. He's been there. I think this was his sixth season at Troy. And I mean, going back, I mean, this year they're they're allowing five yards per play, which is that's pretty good. Last year, they, they allowed four point seven yards per play. 2016, five yards per play. Uh, 2015, 5.2 yards per play. So, I mean, not not as good. 2014, in 2014, they were bad. I mean, 6.3 yards per play. And I'd have to do a little more, and I should have done more, but I can't remember if he was there in 2014 or not. But uh, it, even if he was, he they've they've been getting better and better and better over the years. Uh, 2014, okay, he was hired right after 2014. So that season they were bad, and they hired him back and ever since he's been there so 15 16 17 18 i think this is his fifth year or fourth year uh the defense has been been good and again another it's troy it's a Sun Belt. they're not playing in a power five conference uh and he's a little older but just throwing a name out there he's uh i mean troy's defense has been pretty i think aggressive i think they they force a lot of turnovers and just another guy that i think has at least uh at least at a group of five school has a has a nice track record as a good defensive coordinator uh, but to be fair, he did get a shot at North Carolina in uh, from 2012 to 2014, and also he got a, a bit of a shot at Illinois as a defensive coordinator 2010-2011. From what I gathered, I, I don't think those stints went very well. So at, at Power Five, a couple of Power Five schools, I mean, not big time Power Five schools, he he was pretty much unsuccessful. Based off, he came back based Detroit. off what you said so far, he's definitely a no go. Definitely a no go. <laughs> He's been he's been around too much. He's he's presumably failed too much at too many places. Yeah, but he's from Oklahoma. He's got ties. Well, that I mean that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I just I'm I know. He's been a bad head coach too. His overall head coaching record is six and twenty nine. So he's a he's a coordinator. So yeah, that's that's what I mean. He's a he's not gonna be even in the running, but just just a name that jumped out to me as as a team that has improved in the last handful of years since he Got the job there. OU Alabama talk. Like I mentioned, we haven't done any, any deep dives. Um, I will say we de- we now know that Oklahoma is going to face the Blitnikoff winner in Jerry Judy. Oklahoma's already faced a Blitnikoff finalist in Tylen Wallace, and Tylen Wallace absolutely torched Oklahoma secondary. So, yay, this will be fun. Uh, and not to mention that Jerry Judy, this is going to sound dumb, but he might not even be the best receiver on their team. Waddle is awesome. That guy is a freaking blaze blazer. Uh, he had that long, that nice touchdown in the SEC title game. And then also uh, Alabama, Alabama's Quinn and Williams. I think you mentioned him at the very beginning of the show. He won the Atlin Trophy. And yeah, he he's, got a high. He's probably he got a first place Heisman vote. He's probably the best so. defensive player in the country. So yeah, OU's going to be uh, be facing uh, you know one you know the the Blitnikoff Award winner. Not to mention that Tua obviously in any other year would have won the Heisman and he also you know he won the uh, what do you won the uh, Walter Camp player of the year award and he won another another nice maybe the Maxwell I think he won the Maxwell award so yeah uh, I mean I think their left tackle won like all the offensive line awards too mm-hmm. cool cool man I mean they're they're huge underdogs I mean I don't that's what it is I mean this is if, if Oklahoma is going to win this game it's going to be a it's going to be a Kyler Murray special I don't. That's that's pretty much what Oklahoma is banking on right now 
to win this game. They need Kyler Murray to absolutely be out of his mind. And I don't think that's so Grant, I don't think that's a controversial statement at all. Yeah, I yeah, I'm with you. So here's my here's my task to you just uh, moving forward and I started doing this myself just so I don't forget anything. I have a, a a notepad or a list of of notes on my phone right now, Grant. Anytime I think of something when it comes to OU Alabama that I don't want to forget, I'm kind of writing down. So right now I have a list of my Orange Bowl concerns and my Orange Bowl optimism. And just so I don't forget anything. So just in case you haven't done this yet, I I I encourage you, you know, in case you have a thought that you want to bring up on the pod at a later date and you want to expand on, just take some notes. And I'll be honest, right now my Orange Bowl concerns list is a lot longer than my Orange Bowl optimism list. And I don't want to get into it now because I want to kind of tease it for later on. But uh, And, heck, maybe it'll change when I watch more film. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, just so we don't forget anything, I think – That'll make the show more interesting moving forward that we can we can talk more, especially after we watch more tape. Sure. Yeah, Lee, the thing, I guess, you know, you mentioning that, I, I guess I'll, um, one of the things that I'm really interested to see when I go back to rewatch the SEC championship game is I want to know, Lee, how Georgia got so much pressure on Tua because, Lee, going into that game, Georgia was last in the SEC in sacks. Um, so I... Man, that's, that's surprising. Yeah, so Georgia does end... And that was actually the same deal last year. Georgia did not rush the passer well going into the Rose Bowl last year either. And I think they sacked Mayfield four times. So um, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how, how they got so much pressure on Tua. I want to know, was it was it mostly coverage down the field? Um, was it just Alabama not having, you know, a, a, good, a good game in pass protection or what? So um, I, I'm really curious to see that. And Lee, my you know my biggest concern going into this game right now is still just probably the health of Marquise Brown, because um, that's a big deal. Because the more that I read about Alabama, the more that I find out that a big part of their defense, especially in the second half of the year, as their defense has played a little bit better, has been the emergence of their of their safety Deontay Thompson, who has appeared on some All American lists. And uh, you know, Marquise Brown being healthy and you know providing that threat over the top of the defense to keep Deontay Thompson out of the box, I think is going to be a really big deal in this game. Um, and if Marquise Brown is not healthy and is not able to do that, that's really going to limit Oklahoma's ability to run the ball, I think, and you know, ultimately win the game. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a lot of interesting stuff going on. Hell, we don't even know if Tua is going to be healthy in this game. Um, and, I mean, well, I mean obviously he, we're... Ch- it, he got rid of the boot. Yeah. He didn't have the boot for the Heisman ceremony, yeah. so I think two is going to be fine. I, I'm sure, but at the same time, I mean, every single time they were saying, you know, people were asking him, is he going to be ready? He didn't seem very confident every time he answered that question this week. So, and th- that's just me reading into it. And I, I, I expect Tua to, you know, to honestly be like 110% going into this game. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, what, Percy Harvin it. Yeah. But for whatever reason, um, you know, if Tua is, is limited or for, I mean, for act of God is not able to play. I my my confidence in this game would skyrocket if Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback and and yes I, I realize I saw the last quarter and a half of the SEC championship game my confidence would still be would be much much higher in Oklahoma winning this game if Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback I don't care what you say if if you remove Tua from this team um, it's I mean that's a massive blow for for them obviously well I guess we've gotten this entire podcast I didn't even mention that. Uh Dean Blevins, my boss, asked Kyler Murray in New York about Marquise Brown's status, and Kyler told him that Marquise is going to play. Now, does that mean that he's going to be 100% healthy? Nah, we don't know. Probably not. 
But that's uh, that's surprising. And I guess Desmond Howard uh, said on ESPN recently too that, and I say recently, like the day, I guess maybe Saturday, that Marquise Brown wasn't going to play. And Dean was a- <laughs> Dean was able to ask Kyler about that, I guess. And Kyler responded with, "I'm not sure where he got that information from." So. Uh, I mean, according to Kyler Murray, and I heard the soundbite, or I heard, <clears throat> I heard his quote. He said, "Yeah, I I think he'll play, and he'll be there in Miami." So, you know, Kyler obviously knows the guy. I'm sure so he's going to try. I'm sure he'll try. Yeah, you know, I. But the thing is, I mean, it's 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 been all quiet this year for injuries, and I, I mean that's not going to change now. I. I suspect we're not going to hear any. No. I, I don't think we're going to hear any updates on Marquise Brown at all, honestly, until two and a half hours before kickoff, until warmups. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's zero reason and that's, to and, and that's the same with Tua to, to rule as well, him out. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. The thing is though, too, I I do believe that once the the teams get on site there in Miami, there will be open practices for the media to watch. And I don't know if I mean they can't be there for the entire time, but. I mean, there there could be some indications, you know, if he's out suited up and you know who's who's there. So I mean, we could actually get a little bit more information a couple of days before, but you know, full health status, you know, that's going to be impossible to determine until we actually see these guys on the field. I bet on Saturday, December 29th. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it, it really sucks uh, the prospect of Oklahoma having to play Alabama without Marquise Brown or Rodney Anderson. And I know Rodney's been gone for you know 11 games now, but ah, uh, just it'd be really nice you know, to not have him or to have him. So, um, I know. especially I know. against in this game, I mean, it's it, OU to win this game is going to have to lean on their pros. And, and, and as of now, I mean, that's, that's basically, that's Kyler Murray. That's, that's CD lamb. That's their entire offensive line. Um, we'll see. I mean, yeah, like Kyler Murray is going to have to have the game of his life. CD lamb is going to have to have the game of his life. The offensive line is going to have to play the best game of the season. You know, they're going to have to get contributions from a lot of different guys. It's it's going to be it's it's going to be a hell of a challenge. I, I and I think they're up for it. I think they they can do it, but that doesn't mean they will do it. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm just excited to to go into a game where they're not expected to win. There's literally no pressure, and we can just finally just kind of sit back and just enjoy the offense go against um, Alabama. I mean, this is this is kind of the matchup we've been pining for for years to see Alabama against the best, you know, kind of high-flying, you know, offense in the country. I, I don't think we've ever seen it until now, and, I, and I'm excited to see it. Uh, last year, I mean, we pretty much got that with Georgia. I think that Georgia defense, and maybe I'll change my mind when I watch more tape on Alabama, but I think this just – I think that Georgia defense from 2017 is better than this 2018 Alabama defense. I think they're comparable. I think they're probably pretty I – mean, they're I, similar in effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, like, much better, but I just – I don't. I mean, I guess Quinton Williams. Yeah, Quinton Williams seems to be like he's a he's a freak. So I guess here's, they have him there. Here's how but, I. But I mean, Georgia yeah. didn't have a Quinton Williams, but Georgia did have a Roquan Smith, who was just an absolute game wrecker mm-hmm. in the second half against OU. So here's how I would I would compare them. I think this Alabama team ha- considerably has a better defensive front than Georgia did last year, but I think that Georgia defense was was significantly better in the back seven than this Alabama team is. Yeah, and again, we'll we'll see if our minds change 
We watched and more I think tape. Actually, and yeah, I think what we've seen Georgia do this year, Lee, especially defending the pass, I think OU went up against a pretty a pretty special secondary in last year's Rose Bowl. I think Georgia is very, very good in the back end, and, and Alabama is not that good. Well, and that was that was kind of surprising to me because Georgia last season had not really gone up against anybody that could really scare them through the air. The only team really was Missouri and Drew Locke, and he had his moments in that game. But outside of that, there was nothing. And we saw that in the first half where Oklahoma torched them, and they torched them on the ground and through the air for the most part. And then they just – Kirby Smart went to his, hey, guys, we're going to play single high safety, man coverage across the board, press man, go win your matchups. And Oklahoma decided to not to not go up tempo. They took their foot off the gas. They huddled a little bit more, and it didn't work. And we've already gone over this a million times. Uh, so that's that was the difference in that game. Um, anyways, okay. So just uh, let's have a little mini mini show production meeting here before we we go. Here are the games that I'm going to watch. I'll tell you guys that I'm going to watch when I do research on Alabama because, frankly, I'm going to watch games where Bama played real teams. So that includes September 22nd against A&M, November 3rd at LSU, November 10th against Mississippi State, probably the Iron Bowl in Georgia, and I might watch Missouri, maybe. Uh, those are the only games. So like, I'm not going to watch Ole Miss. I'm not going to watch Arkansas. I'm not going to watch Tennessee. Obviously, I'm not going to watch like the Citadel and, and Louisville. I mean, they're, they're, those teams are awful. I mean, Arkansas State. Um, so those are the games. Just to give you a heads up, those are the games I'm gonna I'm gonna watch because I think those are that's what I did last year with Georgia. I watched the the games where Georgia played, you know, teams that had offenses kind of comparable to Oklahoma's offense, and um, that's that's what I'm gonna do this time with Alabama, and we'll go from there. Any other uh, thoughts? Not really. Just kind of. <laughs> just. I'm right. just, hey, I I feel like. Uh, I feel like the weight, you know, I, I feel like the bull ban or the bull by last last year was was just especially long, and now we're we're already we're already inside, you know, three weeks to kickoff here. So um, that's pretty crazy. It's crazy. I, th- I, I, mean, I think it's going to come up a lot quicker than we when uh, than we expect, and um, I don't know. It's it's going to be that day. Just that December 29th is just going to be a really great day of college football. There's some really good really good games that day. Um, it's just I, I it's it's gonna be fun. And there's there's something about the Orange Bowl too that that I think is fun. There's there's something about the Orange Bowl that just kind of pops on TV. Just the lighting. I think it's always just aesthetically it's always fun to watch the Orange Bowl. Um Oh man, I would I would d- disagree hundred percent on that. Really? To me the Orange Bowl always just seems kinda like blah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I guess agree. I mean to- the Rose Bowl obviously pops. Yeah, and they're and they, they that's honestly the only one. They pop in any other they pop game, in different really. ways. Um, I'm just, you know, and of course, OU has, has a storied, you know, history at the Orange Bowl, a more kind of sad recent history at the Orange Bowl, but, um, it kind of seems like whenever, when, whenever there's, you know, a transformative postseason performance for OU, you know, it usually happens in the Orange Bowl. So that, you know, this time around could either be a really, really good omen or a bad omen, but, uh, we'll see either way. It's going to be really fun. I just, I, I'm so excited to see Kyler Murray go against Alabama, um, and I just, this really is an Alabama team that is not as talented as they have been in the past on defense. They're still really great on defense. Don't get me wrong here, but um, this is uh, the defense that the 2013 Sooners face in that Sugar Bowl. I think is better than this Alabama defense, more talented. So um, 
I just I, I'm so curious to see what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a fun game. Um, and geez, can you just imagine how excited we're going to be in the just just in the in the very rare possibility that OU like forces a punt or something like that? We're going to be yeah. we're going to be so <laughs> pumped. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! Oh, well, I mean, I was pumped last year. Uh, I mean, the, OU got Georgia off the field on the opening possession. I mean, OU's defense stopped. I remember whenever Georgia had to punt, I was like, oh, my God, they got to stop. Here we go. That's all they needed, and, like, and that's why you defer. Even with a terrible defense, you defer because, you know what? If you get that stop to start the game, you position yourself to get that ball to start the second half, and you got to stop. I mean, I know you can go down by a touchdown if you give up a touchdown, but you know what? I always like getting the ball to start the second half no matter what. All right. <laughs> that's it for today. Make sure you like the West of Evers page on Facebook to keep up with the show. We're going to post an update on the Facebook page as soon as we know when the next episode will be released. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.